0: Good morning, how's everybody doing this morning? All right, I guess I can take that. Uh, Well, welcome, we're glad you're here. My name's Mitchell, I work with our youth, with our students, uh, specifically the senior hires, Um, and I just have a couple announcements I want to throw your way. So first, we have our Christmas Eve early service coming up, that is the day before Christmas Eve, Uh, and if you are planning on coming, and you know which service you're planning on coming to, if you can grab... Um, some tickets in the back um, for everybody that you know of that's coming. That would really help us plan out uh, some seating, and maybe if we need to add another service, we can do that. So if you can do that this week or next, that would be awesome, uh, and it would really, really help us out. Next thing I want to touch on, you might have received one of these when you came in. This is our Christmas offering card. If you were not here last week, you missed the news that we have already met this goal, which is super exciting. You can give yourselves a round of applause for that. Yes. (laughs) Super cool, but we're not done. Because we met it so early, we decided we're going to add some more money to some of these organizations and add a couple other organizations in there that we'd like to give to. So you can see our updated list up here. This is round two of what we're going for. So we're trying to almost double what we got. If you ask Austin, he's like, well, we can just get $100,000. That should be no problem. So, hey, we would love to see that happen. That would be great. So, if you would like to give to our Christmas offering, just somehow note um, either on your check or with a with some kind of note that you are giving to the Christmas offering. That way, it doesn't go into our general tithe fund. Um, but yeah, that's really exciting, super awesome that we already that we already met that. Uh, but I'd love to see what happens in the, in the coming weeks with that. Next thing I want to touch on, uh, we have our painted sign workshop today after after this service. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of fun. If you have not signed up, I'm sorry, but we are full. So a lot more turnout than we were anticipating for that. So because of that, we are going to do it again in the future. Um, but if you didn't sign up, sorry, you kind of missed out on this one. You'll have to you'll have to be first in line next time. Um, but yeah, that's gonna be really fun, really exciting. And last thing I want to touch on, because I'm one of the youth guys, I want to talk about youth for a minute. Um, so what we typically do is we follow the school schedule, Northridge, or the Middlebury Community School schedule. Um, so during Christmas break, we are not going to have Wednesday night youth group. Um, so we have it this Wednesday, and then we're off for a couple weeks. And we're actually going to push back our start date a week. So on the 15th of January is when we will meet again. Um, and then along the lines of youth... We are really looking for some small group leaders. Austin and I both could really use some more help. Uh, we're growing like crazy. We've got a bunch more kids this year than we've had in the past, um, but we need some help. I am um, specifically looking for some lady small group leaders. That would be awesome. Um, and then Austin and I both, any, anybody that wants to step in and do anything to help us out would be, would be really cool. Uh, we have a lot of really cool kids, a lot of really great kids. A lot of you have your, your students that are coming Um, on a wednesday night or a sunday night but we just want to love on them and we would love to have you be a part of that loving on them too there's no there's no way that this should be overwhelming for you if it's something you're not sure about we can find a role uh, that you can fit into that would help out um, but we'd greatly appreciate it and with that that's all i've got so if you want to stand welcome someone give them a hug high five handshake just let them know you care and you're glad they're here
1: we're in a Christmas series. Welcome, my name is Blair. Uh, we're in a Christmas series called What Child Is This? where we're trying to understand why God came to earth as a baby. Actually, it's, it's deeper than that. Uh, our hope is that as you uh, look at this story based on the stuff that we talk about, that you'll have a different experience with God over the holidays that will change you. And, uh, and that's the goal. That's the goal. And so the question isn't just why did he come as a child, it's about his nature. And I would make the case to you that I think Jesus came as a baby because it was in God's nature to do so. And the question is why? What is it about that choice reveals so much about God to us? And so we've been looking at it. Last week, we said one of the things that you need to understand about God is part of his nature is he wants to be close. He wants to be close to you. And so he came as a baby, and he did it with this in mind, that the Greeks said he wanted to be an icon. He wanted to be a picture, perfect picture. God's values, a perfect picture of what God would be like. So that if you wondered what God was like, what his values were, what he did, how he thought, all you had to do was look at Jesus. And so he embedded himself in our world, in a family And he walked alongside us so that you could see what God would be like. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to look at the nature of God, and we're going to use Paul's words to do it. We decided for this series, we were going to look at sections of Scripture outside of the Christmas story and then kind of fold it back in. And that's what we're going to do this time. We have a section of Scripture where Paul gets personal He's going to tell us a little bit about him and how he feels about the whole thing, about his experience with God. And I hope that's going to be useful for you. Uh, It's going to take us a little while to digest it. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on all of that before we take it back to the Christmas story, but I promise we'll get there. We'll find our way back, and it'll be great. Um, I want to take you to uh, 1 Timothy. There are several books um, that Paul wrote That were to individuals. This is one of them. Most of Paul's writing is to a group. He's writing to a church, a group of people where he's tackling big problems that are going on. But these letters to an individual, it's almost like you're getting to read somebody's personal mail. And in this case, he's got this mentoring relationship going on with Timothy. And there will be moments where he kind of reveals some authentic things about himself. It's not like he's not authentic in the other sections of scripture. It's just different here. And I want you to see how that comes out early on. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and in verse 15, he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Apparently, there were some sayings going around, and Paul was pointing out, this one that you've heard before, you should accept it. Here's the saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which is brilliant. This is something that Jesus said himself. So the fact that he would point to that and say, hey, that's worth holding on to is pretty cool. But then he adds this tag to it, of whom I am the worst. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who messed up big? Like, it, was, it was big. Like, they sent the text out, but the person that they were talking about, they sent it to them instead And maybe they were willing to say that, but they they would have wanted to say it in person. Instead, they said it in a text, and now the whole family knows, and it's in an uproar, and they don't know how to put the genie back in the bottle, and it's ugly, and they're not really sure what to do. Or uh, maybe you've sat down with a friend who was wrestling over a decision, and it was a little boggling to you how this was hard because it seemed pretty apparent that the one choice was a terrible choice. There's nothing good that would come from it. Just a lot of pain, just a lot of agony, but you understand because you've been there where you've been tempted at times, and so you got it. You can, you can understand how they were wrestling, but the choice, it was simple, easy choice, and yet when you meet with them the next time, they chose the worst possible outcome and it's blowing up in their face, and they've caused harm to themselves. They've caused harm to other people, and it, it's big. Or maybe you've talked to somebody who had a dream. They, they wanted to do something really well, so they set goals, and they went for it. Uh, they wanted to get into a certain school. They wanted to have a certain kind of relationship with their spouse. They had, they had these desires. Maybe they wanted to start a business, and they, they went for it because they had a lot of passion for that dream. And for whatever reason, the dream failed. They didn't reach it. And as they look in the rearview mirror, analyzing what went wrong, they start to pick away at choices or decisions or thoughts that they had that if they would have just done it differently, it wouldn't turned out so bad. And when somebody's sitting on the cusp of, like, one of those big mess-ups in life, you'll hear these words come out of their mouth. I'm the worst. I'm the worst parent. I'm the worst student. I'm the worst kid. I'm the worst business person. You'll you'll hear these kinds of things because of the depth of the failure that they feel. Paul was saying this. This was how he felt towards him and God. That somehow he had gotten to a place where he felt, you know what? I understood what God valued. I understood what God wanted. But when it came to doing what God wanted, I did it my way. I went in a different direction. I sinned. And I was the worst. This is a huge failure. I messed up. This is big. Which makes you think, Man, maybe when you fail God that big, God's not going to respond well to that. But look at what Paul says next in verse 16. But for that very reason, the fact that I was one of the worst, right? For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Seemed like instead of God responding poorly to Paul's horrible choices, horrible decisions, this thing that he felt like was the worst, God does something else. Puts on display, what did he say? Patience. Not just patience. Immense patience. Now, I've, I uh, wrestled for a while with how I would describe this because it's kind of a unique uh, phrase in the Greek, all of that sort of thing. And so I thought to myself, what I'll do is I'll come up with an illustration of immense patience. And I started looking at my life and not gonna lie, this is the first thought I had. The first thought I had was, why can't, up I, why can't I come up with a quick illustration of immense patience, right, which then it dawned on me that was kind of ironic, right? And then I realized I don't have very many things of immense patience because it's not part of my story. So then I thought, maybe I'll just come up with patience. If I can give you a story of patience, that would be great. And then the thought came to my mind, oh yeah, I'll share with you the one time in my life that I was patient and then I'll go home and I'll hear it from Tracy for the rest of the day. She'd be like, what, you found the one time in your whole life where you were patient and that's what you shared? Nice job. What about everything else? Literally, on a date yesterday with my wife, like a date, put my best foot forward, right? And she says to me, you need to be more patient. I wasn't trying one way or the other. I was just me kind of in the moment, and that's what I'm good at. I have more examples of how impatient I am than patience, a lot of them, and I, I bet you you do some of these same things too. So when I go to the grocery store, I hawk every line, and then I'll choose one, and if I'm with somebody, I will then send them out to scout the other lines. Anybody else with me? Right? Yeah, because if you can save 30 seconds, you're going to do it. Just like me, right? If I'm in a place where the internet goes down, we're on a short timeline before we're out of there, right? It's like the end of the world has happened. And if I can't get a good signal and I can't get internet, I don't know what the point of being around is. Let's get out of here, let's go home. And they're like, can't you just hang out for a little while and see if things work out? No, I don't think so. We're out of here. I, am, I, am I the only one who feels that way about the Internet? Oh, the worst. Oh, this is embarrassing. The worst place for me to experience impatience is on this little thing that people call customer service. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've been there, right? Because I'm almost convinced that they tell them not to serve customers when you call, Right? But, but I've remembered over time what I've realized over time is the person that I'm talking to didn't set the boundaries. They didn't set, they didn't set the policies. They're caught in the middle too and it's not right for me to get impatient. and so I work really hard not to be patient and even when I'm working hard, I'm still an idiot sometimes. I have, I have apologized to customer service reps before because God caught me in the middle of it. He's like, you're being an idiot, shut up. Okay. Why? I don't like to wait for stuff. Like I want it to happen pretty fast. But it's not the only part of patience. It's not just about waiting. It's about understanding that there's a process that unfolds that has to unfold the way it's going to unfold. And there's no other way to rush it. I've, ta- I've talked with people who wanted to acquire a skill or wanted to get somewhere in life quickly. And what they had what they had done is they had discounted the whole process that they had wanted to go through. Why? Because we're just not patient as a culture. I want to tell you, when it comes to patience, I reflect more of our culture's values than I do God's. Because I don't have that much patience with other people. I don't have that much patience with myself. And I don't always have patience with the process that has to happen for something to take place. It's just kind of the way this unfolds. Um, by the way, I I found this fascinating. Companies have actually studied us as a culture, and they know how our impatience adds up in actual dollars and cents. This, this is an older study, so I can't imagine how much money it cost them now, but Amazon did a study in 2012, and they found that for every one second the page loaded slower, it would cost them $1.6 billion in a year because we couldn't wait an extra second for the page to load. I can't imagine how much money that would be now. Their sales have grown immensely, so one second would cost them so much. Google has found that if you you do a search on their page and it takes 4 tenths of a second longer than it currently takes. There'll be 8 million less searches that we do every day because we don't have the time for four-tenths of a second. What are you doing, Google? Hate you. Yeah, that four-tenths of a second cost us. It's these are real numbers. And this is the kind of the way we deal with this. Here's what's interesting. It says about God that He has immense patience. Now when the translators translated that word, they were were working hard because if you put it in the actual word that would have been translated, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense for us. In fact, if you go to some literal translations, you'll see that they translated perfect patience, which makes you ask the question, okay, is that just God knows when to have enough patience, when not to have patience? It's like perfect every time, is that what it's about? The actual word is all, whole We're given all of God's patience, the whole patience. And so that's why people said, okay, the way for us to to illustrate this the best is to use a word like immense. All of God's patience, the whole patience. It's overwhelming. It's huge. It's like Grand Canyon. If you've ever gone to the Grand Canyon and looked over the Grand Canyon, how deep, how wide, how long that is, you can't see the end of it. It's beautiful. It's Immense. You look up into space. It's immense. goes on and on, and you wonder, I'm such a small little dot in all of this. How grand, how this whole thing. I can't even see it, and I know that. The love you have for a child gives you that sense of what vast, enormous, giant, this sense of God's enormous, overwhelming love that we're supposed to feel. God says that's, that's how much patience God has. It's interesting, Paul describes patience in another section of Scripture that he's really famous for. I want to point this out because I think it's going to be valuable for us later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's a chapter about love. And in that chapter, love is talked about like it's a person. It's described like it has attributes and actions that a person would have. Uh, faith isn't described that way. Hope isn't described that way. But love is. Because love is actually a person. It's actually Jesus who loves. And what is the first thing that Paul says love is? Love is patient. Why did Paul put that at the top of the list? Why, when he's talking to Timothy, does he say God's immense patience matters so much and it matters because of what paul was talking about in timothy this was personal to him this was about choices paul had made and he had experienced this and so he was talking from experience so let me let me take you back into paul's background just a little bit to help you understand why this is such a big deal for paul why, why it's become so important in these different sections of Scripture. Now, I don't know. I think a lot of people have been taught over the years that Paul started off with the name Saul and that God changed his name to Paul. If, if you've believed that or heard that, it's actually not true. That's not how it worked. Paul actually had two names, it's because he had a really unique upbringing. He had a, both a Greek background and a Jewish background. And it, not just any background, in, incredibly favored positions. So I want to help you understand this. I want to actually take you and show you what he said about his different backgrounds. I want to take you to Acts 23, verse 6. And Paul is in front of a group of people, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. They're ticked off of him, and he makes this comment in front of them. He says this in verse 6 of chapter 23. My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. Paul is in the spiritual leadership class of Israel. His dad, maybe his dad's dad, we don't know how far back it went, but there was enough that he was a descendant of a Pharisee and he was a Pharisee himself. Not just that, he had an incredible education in this. This is pointed out in Acts 22.3. He says, I stuttered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Last year during the summer, I did a talk on divorce, and I told you that there were two rabbis that were competing at Jesus' day to influence people. Um, people either were with Hillel or they were with this guy who taught Paul. He was a major influencer. If you want something to compare it with in our day and age, it would be somebody saying to you, I studied under C.S. Lewis. That's how big of a deal this is. I studied under a brilliant thinker who influences a lot of people. That's Paul's Jewish heritage. He's not just some Jewish guy, he is a Pharisee who had one of the best educations from one of the most influential people of the day. He's got it good. But that's not all he had. Paul goes into a Roman town. He's talking about Jesus. Uh, some people don't like it. Stir up It stirs up a whole bunch of people who get upset. And Paul gets dragged in. And they decide they're going to flog him. They're going to beat him. And so Paul mentions, I'm a Roman citizen. Which is surprising. The centurion in charge comes to him. This is in Acts 22 Verse 27, and he says, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Paul says, Yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. Which is shocking to the guy, because even in Rome, more than half of the people were not Roman citizens. You had to struggle and fight to get citizenship. You had to earn it, you had to pay for it. You had to put in years of slavery and then be blessed with it if you had that chance. Outside of Rome, it was even fewer people because they would just stay and dominate an area, and a few Romans would have control, would have power, but everybody else were just their servant. So it's hard for the centurion to think that this guy could possibly have citizenship. And so he asks him, this is verse 28, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul replies, but I was born a citizen. Paul had the privileges of Roman citizenship as a free man. Incredible. Not only that, he was in the upper echelon of Jewish leadership. He had power. He was around people who had influence. He has all of this favored position. And you know what Paul does from his favored position. He identifies the church as an enemy of the state of Rome, as an enemy of the Jewish belief system, and he decides to be zealous, his own word, active, energetic, in going out and finding Christians and putting them to death. People were afraid of this guy named Saul. If he showed up in your town and you were a follower of Jesus, your life was threatened. And this is how Paul spent his time. If you're wondering why Paul identified himself as I'm the worst, it's because Jesus was out there changing changing hearts and Paul was out there snuffing them out. He was going in the exact opposite direction that God had in mind. And you would wonder, I mean, if you're the worst, and that's what you're doing, you're actually going and killing people who are choosing to follow God, would you not make it on God's top ten wanted list? Would he not want to just kind of push you off to the side, get rid of you, deal with you, so that you would stop harming his church? Paul records to us what happened to him instead. He's on a road. A blinding light hits him. A voice comes to him. This is in verse 4 of chapter 9 of Acts Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His answer is very telling, by the way. Verse 5 Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Saul had all this spiritual training. He was a Pharisee. And you know what he didn't have? He didn't have a connection with God. He didn't know his voice, couldn't identify him in the crowd. He he didn't have what mattered the most. And what could have happened to Paul, maybe what should have happened to Paul, if we were looking at what was right and just, is that Paul would be snuffed out right here, taken out. And instead, God meets him and turns him into one of the champions of Christianity. And Paul says, I was the worst. But what I experienced was God's immense patience. Despite all the wrongdoing that I had done, and I piled on a lot, I received patience from God. He waited for the right time for me. He knew that there was a process that had to unfold. And he met me at the right moment. And it changed me. Listen, that that kind of patience sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Sounds beautiful when it happens to me. Sounds beautiful when it happens to you. It's really frustrating when it happens to somebody that we think deserves some justice and isn't getting it. It's really frustrating when we think, oh, we want God to set things right, right now, to fix stuff that needs fixed right now, and instead, he takes his time. Which is what I think is behind part of the explanation For why you see Jesus showing up as a baby. Because when Jesus was born, he was born into a really dark time in history. Rome was dominating. They would go and kill a whole bunch of people, enslave a bunch of people. They would wipe out cultures in whole if they wanted to. Around Jesus' time, the emperors actually started declaring themselves to be God. God. Augustus would say, I'm the son of God, come to earth to bring peace, the very words that Jesus would say. So the spiritual confusion that they were introducing into the world was great. Israel as a nation, a mess. They had been assigned a king who was half Jewish, who didn't care about any Jewish values or any Jewish stuff. In fact, what he was famous for, what he's known for, was all the stuff that he built off the backs of slaves. Incredible builder. You can go see some of the stuff that he built even now. You can go look at it. And he did that all off the backs of people that he just used and abused. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had decided that the system that was currently working made sense to them. Roman power makes us wealthy. So you see a guy like Saul going around and actually killing other people to keep the system from, we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want Christianity to rock the boat, everything's working just fine. The whole, everything was a mess. And if there was ever a time where you would look at God and say, God, we need you to show up and fix this stuff right now. We need you to do this right now. It would have been then. And what does he do? Sends a baby to a culture that would not listen to that baby for 30 years. In their culture, you didn't listen to somebody who taught from the Torah until they turned age 30 they would not give given him a platform until then why why would god go into such a dark time and not act now it's because once again he's putting on his display of immense patience he has the ability to wait for the right timing He has a lot of it. And like I said, it feels really good. It feels really good when you're the recipient of that incredible amount of patience. And I want to tell you, you are. But what happens is we get frustrated with the world around us, with the stuff that we see people getting away with. And we want God to hurry up and act, to do some stuff that set things right, to put some people in line, to come to my defense. Look at the circumstances I'm in, God. Act quickly. But I want to tell you right now, if God chose to act quickly, he would do that for everybody. And if he acted quickly, you and I would be dust right now. And the fact that we're not is all about the patience that God approaches the whole world with. And you, my friend, are on the receiving end of that too. You have a pile of mistakes and mess ups. And what you're greeted with is a God who loves you so much, he approaches you with immense patience. And one of the ways that you can remember that as we celebrate Christmas is to remember that he came as a baby a baby who would take time to grow, a baby who would take time to get to a place where he could finally do his ministry and that God was okay with that because he's full of patience for the world that we live in. And the incredible news is we're on the receiving end of that too. And I hope, I hope this season of impatience where we're running around and our lives are full of stuff That as you remember this baby in a manger, you'll remember that that's an act of God's patience being put on display, his love for you, and that his patience is available for you day after day after day. Immense, huge, vast. He loves you. I hope that encourages your heart. Can I pray with you? God, thank you so much. Out of of the things that we've done in our lives, I think we could all approach you and say, I'm the worst. We we could come up with a list of stuff that we've done, stuff that we've said, things that we've thought that that are just in the opposite direction of what your values are. And instead of squishing us out like bugs, we have experienced what Paul did. Immense. Patience. You love us. And because of that love, we have the ability to have a connection with you, to know you. So God, as we step into this Christmas holiday and things are going crazy and we have to get on the phone and make calls and we have to do this stuff and we're stretched far from the people that we want to be. I ask that you would help us to recall that even in those moments, a patient God waits for us to return to Him, to return to the love that you have for us. God, when we see that baby, I ask you to help us to remember that you were putting on your display of patience for me, for you. What love. We thank you. I ask that it will help us be different as we reflect on how patient and how loving and how kind you have been to us. In Jesus' name, amen.